and chapter 32. And uh, sometimes you wish you could get the world to stop and listen to the truth that is in the Bible, but of course that is not their goal, desire, nor wish. But uh, as we think about this world in which we live and all of the quote-unquote mass shootings and things like this, I don't know if you've heard about the uh, young kid in the Walmart in Springfield, Missouri, walking in with an AR-15 and 100 rounds of ammunition. He said he was uh, just checking out his Second Amendment rights. And uh, I'm glad they arrested the kid and put him somewhere where he can't hurt someone. Amen? Uh, that's not Second Amendment rights. Uh, but we, we live in a world that seemingly has gone mad. And uh, could I give you a different definition of insanity? It's what man does when he refuses to believe in God. Isn't that a pretty good definition? And, and these people, uh, you know, they have been working in 1962. That was actually before I was born, all right? Uh, in 1962, they took, quote-unquote, took prayer out of the public schools and and these things, this battle to remove God from our society has been going on for a very long time. And uh, the only question I wish we could get uh, uh, AOC and uh, Nancy Pelosi and some of these political pundits, Charles Schumer, our, our beloved governor, uh, what is his name, uh, Junior Como there, uh, to answer the question, how do you like a society without God? How's that working for you? Uh, I, I challenge you, it's not working very well. Would you agree with me on that? And, and it's very easy for us to lose our joy, our hope, and our desire to serve God. I try to keep track of current events and and, of course, I was very interested to hear what some uh, commentators would say in the, in the uh, wake of all those shootings and things that happened. And, by the way, gun control laws don't work. I, I like the story of the man who said, I was trying to figure out, he said, they, they say guns are so dangerous he said, so I took my shotgun and set it on the front porch. He said, I loaded it. And he said, I let it out there laying across the little table on my front porch. And he said, I watched all day to see if that gun would shoot anybody who walked past my front porch. He said, you know what I found out? He said, it didn't happen. He said, you know why? Because there was no idiot holding it, pulling the trigger. Amen. Uh, I mean, that is the simple truth. And we're not going to stop violence until we work in the hearts of people. And by the way, there is only one cure for the perverted thought process and hearts of mankind. And that's this book right here. And that's the thing they want the least of. That, that is what they're afraid of. Oh, religion is the problem. Well... Yes, it is. I guarantee, but you've got to put the proper adjective in there first. 
false religion. But could I echo the words of Benjamin Franklin to Thomas Paine when he was trying to write his, what he considered his um, uh, opus magnum, his greatest work was a world without God. And he said, Benjamin Franklin said to uh, Thomas Paine, he said, sir, he said, I'd throw that away. He said, man causes so many problems believing in God, I would fear to think of a world without one. And could I challenge you, even under the term false religion, which is the greatest problem in the world in which we face, and by the way, as we list the registers of false religion, let us not fail to include socialism, communism, and atheism as false religions. Uh, Because they are. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does not to be an atheist. Because everything you see denies the presence of a God. You look up into the stars at night. And this universe in which we live is so ordered and allowed to give us life. And you know what? They, they, they think they found a layer of ice on Mars. Water. That means life. But they don't know if it's water yet. Because they can't test it. It just looks that way as they analyze the surface because they so desperately must prove that there is life somewhere other than earth. Because if they can't prove that, uh, my favorite statement, hope you never tire hearing, who but God could waste Thirteen and a half billion light years of matter to put one little planet with life on it. Only God has those kind of resources. Amen? And as we look today, I was reading through my Bible, and occasionally there are just... Oh, not occasionally, but as a preacher, there are just little phrases that sometimes just jump off the page at you. And as I was contemplating and talking about, I hope you can follow all the thought processes so far, but one commentator picked it up and he got really close to the truth. He was talking about a world that where people don't believe in God. What else are they going to do? What hope do they have left? Their only answer is to go out and kill people. Well, it's pretty close. But see... When you remove God from your understanding of this world, who then goes into the vacuum that is created by the absence of God? Uh, You do. And as a God, little g, little o, little d, let's make sure we're right, believing that you are God, capital O, capital D, capital G-O-D, you believe you have the power of life and death and that you are the only one who can solve the world's problems. Now, you add to that a little substance abuse and a little uh, pharmacology to help you with your depression and everything, and you have got the mix of a serial killer right there. And we're going to have more and more of them come because... That is what our society without God is going to produce. Now, that sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? 
And as I was reading this, I said, you know, as servants of Christ, we of all people have no reason to lose our hope. And then I read the story about Hezekiah here in chapter 32 of the book of Second Chronicles. And we're going to just start in verse 1, try to put the story together here very quickly, and then grab some things that I think will help us. After these things, verse 1, Second Chronicles 32. After these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities, and thought to win them for himself. So here we have a national emergency. The armies of Assyria move into the land of Israel. Sennacherib is the king, and unless you're a great student of ancient history, that means nothing to you, but he was one of the famous kings of of Assyria. You study ancient history, and his name will come up. I mean, he's a very uh, prominent figure. And, And he moves his armies from Assyria and into the land of Israel, and he is going to occupy and conquer the land. And Hezekiah is faced with an emergency. And so, he does not have an army that can go out and meet Sennacherib, he has no military options to drive Sennacherib from the borders of Israel. His only hope is outlasting them. And so he sends out his men all through the area surrounding Jerusalem to stop up all the wells and the brooks and the flowing rivers and all of these things. In fact... Uh, Hezekiah is really most famous. If you ever go to the land of uh, Israel today, uh, they will at least show you the entrance to Hezekiah's tunnel. He, he dug a, a route to take the spring of Gihon up on the mountains outside Jerusalem, and he dug a tunnel. They started at opposite ends without all of our common radar and surveying equipment and dug a tunnel to bring the spring Gihon right down into the city of Jerusalem and make it siege-proof as far as water is concerned. And Hezekiah also did not just sit idly by waiting to be destroyed. He built up the walls and and tried to raise the height and, and built an extra fortifications there. But Hezekiah really knew something. He had no earthly hope of defeating this enemy. And on top of that, Sennacherib sent out his messengers. And I'm sure they had a show of force, several thousands of soldiers and horsemen after them. And they would ride up to the city walls and they would proclaim to them that, If you'll just surrender... We'll save your life. Why do you want to die? Everybody dies. Sennacherib is the greatest king and he's defeated all the enemies of the world. No God has stood before Sennacherib. And he made a mistake. He said, Hezekiah has taken out all of his high places and commands you to worship at one altar in Jerusalem. How ridiculous is that? Well, you know what Hezekiah had done? 
He removed the high places to the false gods and had called his nation to pray to the true God. So that is the story. And, and we get down here, and this is the part that I like. We start in verse 6. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Here's the title for this morning's message. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And, and the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Now, the way the story ends is in a last effort to uh, put fear in the hearts of the people of Jerusalem. Sennacherib sends Rabshanka with a letter, an open letter, and he reads it. And the messengers of the king on the wall say, speak to us in your language. We understand it. And they said, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to speak in your language because we want you to understand we're going to kill everybody. And Hezekiah took the letter and he spread it out before the Lord and he prayed. And Isaiah the prophet sent him the word of the Lord saying, God's heard your prayer and he's going to protect you. And he sent an angel into the camp of the Assyrians. In one night, 185,000 soldiers died. Sennacherib now had no army. And God wasn't finished shaming and disgracing Sennacherib. And I am sure that the writers of our Bible wanted to include these details just to show how terrible things worked out for Sennacherib because he goes home and he is worshiping in the house of his God, his false God, and he's going, why did all this happen to me? And his own sons sneak into the temple and murder their father in the temple of his God. Thus, the... Ignim, uh, however you say that long word, the terrible end of Sennacherib. But where I want us to settle here is they rested upon the words. They rest, and the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. I, I, I'm done getting upset. How about you? Uh, I, I am tired of being constantly worried and harassed. And I've got a greater king than Hezekiah that has spoken very comfortably to me. And, and instead of having to wait to hear those words, they're all written down in this book called the Bible. And I just want to take this morning's message and... Alert us to the place that we're in. Are, are we not in an emergency just as dire as the one that Hezekiah was in? Uh, I'll tell you, we are. Our nation is on the brink of disaster. Uh, 
We are in very grave danger of losing our freedoms. We have people who are running about this nation uh, doing everything in their power not to win the debate, but to destroy those who disagree with them. Uh, That is not democracy. That's communism, socialism, uh, tyranny, despotism, fascism. Uh, These are the things that describe those kinds of behaviors. But could I challenge you that since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there has never been a time that his church has not existed on the edge of utter destruction. There has not ever been a time when Jesus' church has not been under attack. That is the devil's number one priority. You know who the greatest persecutor of believers in Jesus have been? False believers in Jesus. What would become the Orthodox and Catholic Church have put to death more people than Islam could if it lasted another thousand years. Entire areas were razed to the ground, every woman and child killed by the armies of Rome. That's history, my friend. We have people who want to erase any notice of God. But here's what Jesus said. We know this verse. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And may I just once again, as Jesus said those words, he said, Behold, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And I want to challenge you that the church of Jesus Christ has never been prevailed against. There is a twofold point to that. Number one, never, ever has one soul that has professed true faith in Jesus Christ ever been lost to the devil. And number two, since the day that Jesus uttered those words unto this, there has always been a church that assembles in Jesus' name and worships Him according to the words of the Bible. And we have the privilege of worshiping Jesus in His church. As I was a student in Bible college, I had to come to grips with this. I was not raised in an independent Baptist church. I thought Baptists were just about like we were. And I found out that Actually, it was the other way around. We were a pretty poor imitation of what true Baptists were. And so I was baptized as a sophomore in Bible college. And I chose to join Jesus' church rather than start my own. Amen? Enough people have done that through the centuries. We don't need that anymore. And by the way, your hope is only as good as the object of your hope. And that's why I want to hope in Jesus Christ. 
because I don't need to worry about the outcome because he is the one that holds the worlds in his hands. You see, if the church does not hang only upon the power of Christ, it ceases to be his church. Read the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. Jesus is not afraid to reach over to that candlestick and say, you are no longer a true church. And if there's been any concern that I have for Open Door Bible Baptist Church and for the other churches that we work with, uh, I, I think often of Union Baptist Church. I mean... I I wonder if the flame was even burning. Uh, hardly when when the Lord turned that thing over to us, uh, as as bad as everything was. But Union Baptist Church is still alive today. It's struggling. Yes, you need to pray for Brother Mike. You need to pray for that church to grow. But since 1847. I just love that. He went from being the pastor of the youngest church, North Brooklyn Baptist Church in Greenpoint, to the oldest one. Just like that. Isn't that cool? The way the Lord works. Because the Lord loves His church. But that church has some responsibilities. He told the Philadelphia church where we got our name, Thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. I'll tell you, that's what we want to do. We want to be careful. Because Jesus' church will go on. And if you study true church history, what makes it so difficult is you will have churches that were once teaching the truth... Then they stop and a group comes out of them and goes over here and keeps the truth moving forward. And so you can get quite confused because not everybody that came out came out for the right reasons. And so it gets quite complex. And I will tell you this, I believe the simplest way to deal with the history is... When I was ordained, I was ordained at Cleveland Baptist Church. You know what? That was a good church. Still is a good church. That's all I need to worry about. And when Brother Newberger was ordained and Brother Franz was ordained and Andrew ordained, they were ordained right here. And Brother Hiram, you know what? I think this is a Bible church, believing church. And that's all the farther we need to go. Amen. You see, if we're operating under our own power, we're not operating in His power. And Jesus said He would be the builder of His church. And we need to pray that God will do the work in hearts to build His church. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter 5.8. We're going to just move a little bit through the Scriptures this morning. But I do want to remind you, we are in danger, mortal danger. We have an enemy that will not give up. And please, as we talk about these things, do not give any credence to the conspiratorialists, the black helicopter guys, the 
if you've ever met them, you know who I'm talking about. And if you never have, just say, thank you, Jesus. Uh, because I'll tell you what, that is one crowd you want to stay away from. They are the most looniest, kazooniest in the world. They think they're going to protect themselves. I'll tell you what, if Jesus doesn't protect you, you're not going to protect you. Uh, if you think, if you are so foolish to think you can fight the devil, please, go do it somewhere else. We don't want to clean up the mess. I'm sorry. Uh, that's just the way it is. You don't go fighting the devil. You let Jesus fight the devil. Because he's the only one that has won. Amen? And as we read here in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, hopefully you know these verses. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, Peter is not playing games with the picture painted with words here. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, Someone has often said, well, what is the only enemy of the lion? I will tell you, the lion only has one enemy, other lions. And this idea of the roaring lion, they tell us from the days of the African safari, uh, that the most dangerous thing you could do when hunting a lion is to wound it. Because that lion will go on a rampage, killing every living thing to a blade of grass in its path until it dies. And many a hunter has turned into the victim because he did not kill the lion. Um, uh, There was a story, I think it was David Livingston, who was attacked by a lion. And don't quote me on the actual person attacked. I believe it was him, but I'm not sure. And he killed the lion with a knife in his left hand. And they said, why did you not use your right hand? He said, because my right shoulder was in the mouth of the lion. Uh, it, it was a, uh, a very uh, hit and miss thing here. Uh, it's a dangerous, dangerous thing is that roaring lion having received his death wound, but not dead yet, is looking to take out any living thing in his path. And guess who's target number one? Anyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. We forget our danger. And one who is careless with danger doesn't live long. My son-in-law, Chad's taken pilot training and one of the things they repeat often there, there are bold pilots and old pilots, but there are no old bold pilots. Uh... And if you get that thing, you you understand what we're talking about. There are pilots who take chances and there are pilots who don't. But there's no such thing as an old pilot that takes chances. Because you're going to lose. If you're not careful with the danger. I, I love working with wood and different tools. I remember talking to a guy and... Uh, about a, a tool that we were talking about purchasing here. And, and he said, hey, I see you got all your fingers. He said, you're doing pretty good. And, and uh, But that's one of the things. Meat cutters, woodworkers, most of them have injuries of some type or another because you get so used to the machinery that you're not careful. 
as Christians, we need to take warning here. But we also need to be reminded that it's God's words that are our protection. You see, the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah. And we need to rest ourselves upon the words of our Lord and Savior. Look at the next verse if you're there in First Peter chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Who resist steadfast in the faith. Now, how do you resist this roaring lion in the faith? How does that look? Well, what is faith? Faith is believing God's words to the point of obedience. Is, is that not the working definition of faith? Are you all with me on that? Faith is taking God's words and living them. So when the Bible says that if thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've done that, you have lived the words of this book, and the promise of God's salvation is yours. But there's a lot more the Bible tells us to do, amen? And if you want to resist the devil, you don't go out and try to find the devil and fight him. You find the Lord and try to follow him. That's how you fight the devil. One way you could look at it is if you have a cup, this cup only has so much volume that it can receive. Once you fill it up, if you try to put anything else in it, it spills out now, doesn't it? Do you realize that if you could fill your life with Jesus, there wouldn't be any room for sin? That's how you resist the devil. In the faith. The way we're supposed to. And what's the second half of that verse? Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know, one of the devil's greatest tools. And that talk show host that was describing the mentality of these mass shooters and things, was talking about every one of them, regardless of their political beliefs. And by the way, don't believe the news media. These guys that were in El Paso and in uh, Ohio uh, were not Trump supporters by any means. They, they were following uh, uh, the, the guy in uh, Florida wrote a manifesto. Uh, I'm sorry, El Paso wrote a manifesto quoting from AOC's New Green Deal and how that he was worried about the whole world was going to end in just a few years, so he's going to go kill some people so we could all live a little longer. Sounds like a Marvel comic book movie to me. But these people watch these things and believe they're real. Isolation is a terrible tool of the devil.
And there's only one solution for that. And you're living it right now as you are assembled together in the body of believers called the church. If you want to resist, if you want to be mindful of this roaring lion that is seeking whom he may devour, number one, you've got to get busy obeying the things that are in this Word. And you, this Word tells us about how important fellowship and belief and service to Jesus Christ in the local church is. Oh, we have such a... Uh, I believe it's one of the worst words in the English language. Normal. I, I just... I remember dealing with a, uh, a man several years ago uh, under psychiatric care, and he was doing some very uh, dangerous and hurtful things to other people. And, and I actually tried to call his... I said, listen, are, are you keeping track of this guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we... we. I said, do you know what he's doing? He said, oh, yeah, we're, we're, keeping pretty, we're keeping real close watch. I said, the, the, what, what's going on there is very dangerous. Oh, no, this is his normal, is what I was told by the psychiatrist. I said, so it's normal for him to try to get other people arrested and lie about people and call the police and... And, and intimidate other people. I said, that's good, right? Oh, no, well, um, um, you know, but the, that's, that's where he operates and it's okay because he's not really hurting anybody. I said, that's not true at all and you know it. But that's the world in which we live. We're not going to win by trying to combat that. You know how we're going to win? By stopping paying so much attention to the world and pay attention to Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, we have a promise. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 18. You read the rest of Romans 8, and it ends with that incredible treatise on the love of God, how that we cannot be separated from the love of God no matter what. We need to be reminded of that, because those are comfortable words in an uncomfortable time. Amen? Those are words that bring us true comfort. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Titus, in the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Turn with me to John chapter 14. I mean, these are famous verses, verses that we know well. But we need to be reminded. We need to read these comfortable words out of the Word of God. And we need to make sure that our faith and our hope is in the right place. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. We have hope of eternal life. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have hope 
in our death. Should the world decide that it tries to, it's tired of trying to erase us through political and judicial means and resort again to the persecutions of old, you can lay up food and build yourself a fort, but I'll promise you this, they can get into it. But if you'll leave your promises in heaven, you have nothing to worry about. Can we say amen to that? Can we understand that we are in mortal danger? We, we live in a world where the devil wants to destroy us. We live in a world where the world would like to erase us and pretend that we never existed. But we serve a God that is the creator of this world. And He will take care of things, but He does expect us to do some things. Our reason to serve the Lord, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Now, what's the rest of it? Will you say it with me? Which is your what? Reasonable service. Reasonable. It is reasonable that since Jesus died on a cross for me and rose again from the dead, that I should surrender my life to Him who paid the price of my sins. That is absolutely reasonable. And by the way, it's my only protection from the roaring lion which seeks to devour me and the world which hates us. Last week we spent time on the judgment seat of Christ. I'll tell you one thing. When we face that judge, our only regret is going to be that we weren't more obedient to Jesus. Every moment we wasted, we're going to wish that we had spent serving Him. But if you're in John 14 still, I want you to skip down to verse 15. And this is why we serve the Lord Jesus. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Oh, the world talks about love. But they don't know how to define the word. Love is not whatever makes you feel good. The Bible defines love. God is love. I'll tell you, I'm thankful that God is love. Because that is the only thing that has allowed my wife to put up with me for over 30 years. You see, that's how it works. When you serve God together, He gives you grace. Our church is coming up on our 27th anniversary. And our favorite joke here as a church was John uh, Rivera was our oldest member because he's never heard me preach. It's because he's deaf. And and, uh, he has heard me with his eyes, but never with his ears. I'm looking forward to that day in heaven when he'll hear with his ears. 
and now he's serving there at um, Morris Park Bible Baptist and just giving Franz something to start that church that uh, Brother Mike really never had at Union. Faithful, serving family that's going to be there and someone that understands what church is about to help. And that's, that's been a great blessing. But you see, Hezekiah spake comfortably to those people, but they were working harder than they ever worked. Those walls didn't get built by accident. Those springs didn't get stopped out. That tunnel, I'll tell you, some of the most dangerous work that man has ever devised is digging under the ground. And they were boring that tunnel sometimes through solid rock. And when they met, there was actually common ground. Has anybody ever seen that picture of the bridge that people built? They started on both ends and ended up in the center like this. I am sure that's photoshopped. But uh, the simple truth of the matter is we need to have more faith in God than we do in ourselves and in our world in which we live. My hope is in the Lord. Praise God, it's not on Wall Street. Praise God, it's not on Pennsylvania Avenue or in the halls of Congress. Affectionately, the most dysfunctional group of human beings on the face of the earth. Uh, How in the world do you get there? Well, I'll tell you how you get there. It's real easy. Just start ignoring this, and you'll get there eventually. But we have words that were spoken to us. By the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are resting in the words of this book called the Bible for your salvation and your eternal security? Could you say amen? How many of us are resting in those words as we read the newspaper and the headlines and hear what's going on in our world? I'll tell you, we need to be. How are we going to take this book to the world in which we live unless we're more confident in our God than they are in themselves? And if we are so worried, what did, uh, uh, in, in one of the letters it says that God's judgment's going to begin at the house of God and what's going to be to the world if the righteous are scarcely saved? It's time for us to rest enough in the words of Jesus that we can live for him in this present evil world. That is the challenge of today's message. Let's pray. Your heavenly Father.